Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We're going to push the button and punch up one of our favorite NFL analysts. Good enough to hop on board with me a couple times a year. He works for 710 ESPN in Seattle and is a contributing writer for the Washington Post these days on the NFL side. And has just gotten back from the Combine. Combine's still going on, but he's already seen enough. And he's good enough to share his insights with us here. John Clayton joins us here on CBS Sports Radio. So how was your flight in from Indy? Uh, It was long because normally you have to take a connecting flight. So it, it came in long, but at least I made it back. And you know that's that's the difference about this year's combine because you know I've covered 31 of them now, wow. and this is the shortest stay that I've ever had. Mainly because once you get past Thursday, I mean you have very little access to anything. Like Friday morning from eight until eleven, you get the last of the defensive players on a podium. Now the great part is compared to when I first started covering the combine in 1990, there was only nine reporters, nine, <laughs> and. Uh, you know now, what, and of course, get, you know, getting guys wasn't the easiest thing in the world because they weren't real happy, you know, letting media people get to access. Now, every player is available. Every 337 players are available, and nine are on podiums for 15 minutes each. That's a good thing, but boy, it's it's pretty fast paced. Yeah, they uh, supposedly move it right along. I talked to someone who was a pool reporter, as a matter of fact, out there in Indy last night, and he mm-hmm. said that there were some agents that were none too pleased. Because they're trying to make players available to the media limited, but at least make them available. But they started early in the morning, and now that they've made it a primetime TV event, there's a whole bunch of standing around for some of these guys out there. And the players know that the NFL is making money on this as a television product. They're surely not seeing any of it. I understood that there were as many ticked-off agents as there's ever been at the Combine before. Did you see the same? Well, yeah, well, no, no doubt, but they're grumpy for two reasons. I mean, this would be secondary compared to how grumpy they are about the collective bargaining agreement because, uh, you know, they're not happy about the way this is heading because, you know, everybody wants their own piece and thinks, okay, you can get the most there. So I know that uh, there was at least two agents meetings and both were pretty contentious. But again, that's only natural because every agent wants the most for his guy or his situation. And so, uh, yeah, I think you could say there was a big grumpy in Indianapolis this week. Fair enough. We'll get to the CBA in just a couple of minutes, but combine stuff first. Daisy, were out there, either in the interviews, the guys you got to talk to, the guys that you were impressed by, and or any of the workouts that you saw on television, who jumped up, who stood out for you, a guy who's got star written all over him going into the NFL if there is one. I don't know if he has star written on him, but I certainly think 
that Justin Herbert was one of the biggest winners because, you know, going in, he might have been the number three quarterback. He still might be the number three quarterback, but he really helped himself a lot just because, you know, he threw the ball well. He did very well in the interviews, and you can see that he's a talent. Like, I've had him going to the Chargers at the number six pick, and it's not out of the question if Miami has some questions about the hip of Tua that maybe he could go number five, but I thought he was really impressive. And then Henry uh, Rugg, the uh, Alabama wide receiver, just lit it up with the 4-2-7-40, and, of course, he probably needed to because you've got 25 wide receivers graded in three rounds or higher. And I've never seen one this deep. I mean, you go to 2014, there were nine number one type receivers in that draft. Well, maybe there's not nine number ones, but there's now more number one, number two, and number three receivers. And that'll pull down the value of some of the top receivers because now you're figuring, okay, if we run out of tackles, we run out of edge rushers, you know, we can still get the guy. We'll take that now and we'll get the wide receiver later. There were some guys that did uh, stamp themselves as uh, potential movers up on boards with their performance in Indianapolis. They changed some of the drills. They certainly changed the timing of it for a TV production standpoint, but they also changed some of the drills. What was either your take or the take that you got from those who were uh, either out there competing and or representing guys who were competing as to whether the new format they used was better or or worse? Well, it's probably better for TV because instead of just watching guys in shorts run 40 times, now you get to see agility type of drills. I mean, I like the the running back drill, although I still can't figure it out and still can't figure out how anybody can do the Deuce Staley drill because, I mean, it's like, (laughs) put your foot there, put your foot there, put your foot there, put your foot there. It's like, I'm just wondering if anybody got advanced stuff out there to be able to teach that drill. I mean, it's great to be able to evaluate a player, but sometimes you can get into over-evaluation. The reason I say that, and this has nothing to do with this year, you go back to last year, DK Metcalf had one of the best combines you can ever have. He did a 4-3-3-40. You know, he was 6'3", 229 pounds. He lifted all but maybe more than all but three offensive linemen, but he couldn't do the shuttle drill well, and so he sunk from a first-round pick to the bottom of the second round. I mean, sometimes it could be a little bit much, but I think what the one thing is with the 18 to 20 additional things that they put in the drills, that it's probably a little bit more entertaining, a little bit more variety for the fans watching it. Because, I mean, you look at the first night ratings, it was the best watched and best viewed uh, combine ever. And so I think you can see that, you know, at least the move, at least for now, seems to have worked out to appeal to the fans. And uh, that's not a bad thing. John Clayton from 710 ESPN Seattle and uh, the Washington Post here with us on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, Specific play I want to ask you about coming out of the Combine, because I've had some debates with guys uh, about this player's viability in the NFL. I'm a Chase Claypool fan from Notre Dame. He went out and ran faster than most people expected, because most of the scouting reports I saw him was good size, pretty good route runner, uh, hands questionable. Uh, don't know if he's going to be able to get behind defenses. Then he went out and ran one of the fastest 40 times. He's a big kid. He would be one of the bigger wide receivers in the league, and people are speculating a potential move to tight end. I don't see it. Megatron was a big kid, too, and they wisely never moved him to wide receiver. What did you think of Chase Claypool's combine, and what do you think his prospects as a wide receiver in the league? 
I think they're going to be great because, you know, he did about, I mean, he did the thing because, you know, he had other wide receivers that may not have run as fast. I don't think that hurt them because I think what ends up happening is people think, okay, you do this and you really hurt your stock. Well, I mean, look at Orlando Brown, uh, you know, going back to the Baltimore Ravens a couple years ago. You know, he had the worst 40 time and the worst combine I've ever seen. I think, I don't know. He, it was like, I know he was like way behind run, rich run as far as his 40 time, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he was able to uh, come back and he was a pro bowler this year. And so, you know, sometimes that can get, you know, if you think you're hurting yourself, sometimes it's a little bit wrong. But no, I think what he did is he secured a first round selection because he's got the size, he's got the speed, he's got that. I thought it was an interesting comment that Michael Irvin made this week because you know he's talking about speed and he says do you really have a, a 4-3-3 guy in the 40 in the hall of fame well part of that's us who's voting for the hall of fame because we still haven't got cliff branch in yet but uh nevertheless he's right about it because what happens sometimes is those speed guys become nine route guys and they average 16 17 yards a catch but they don't get as many catches they're still good but they may not be the number one guy where Michael says, you know, you got those guys that run like Michael Thomas in the four, three, four, I mean, the four, 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 five range, but they fit the routes. And so, you know, it's a kind of combination, but what we're seeing now in the receiving core, and that's why so many guys have high grades is that they're bigger, faster, and, you know, at least on the skills, maybe more talented each year with the receivers coming out. John Clayton here with us on CBS Sports Radio. All right, you said you saw talk to a couple of agents, and uh, they're all, if not representing their players that are there in Indianapolis, have in mind their players that are at least right now contemplating a potential new CBA. Uh, the Players Association leadership and the NFL got together. The NFL presented a full uh, plan. Uh, it got stalled. The players said they didn't want to vote on what they were hearing wasn't good enough. They didn't want to formalize it, but they at least have taken it back and are consider, considering voting on it. Where is this plan falling short, the new CBA for the players? Well, right now, I mean, you can see that the veteran players, the guys that are in their second and third contracts, they're not going like to it, like it. That's why I can Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, J.J. Watt, they've been through a lot of football. And they basically say, it's like, my body can't take 17 games. It's a bad deal. And so you got most of the guys, and there's 272 players making $6 million a year or more currently on rosters. But again, you've got 1,900 players in this union. 1,100 of them are in a different category. They're either in their rookie contracts, either as drafted or undrafted. You know, they're making the minimum salary. 60% of the league right now is in the minimum salary. And the way they look at it is, okay, if you don't take this deal, one, you lose $100,000 of an increase in your minimum uh, base salary next year and through the rest of your career. You lose a bunch of benefits that you can have. You have a little less practice time and less hitting. So those things aren't bad. And then the other option is it will guarantee be a strike or a lockout next year because, you know, the NFL, having agreed to a deal with the Players Association, and if it's voted down, they're going to come back and be retaliatory next year and put in things that's going to lead to the players striking or the NFL locking out. And so I think it's going to pass. It's going to be close, but it's going to come down. They have to figure out. First off, one of the reasons there's no vote right now is that they have to get the language done this weekend so that when they present it to the players, they know exactly what they're presenting to the players. So that's either going to be Monday or Wednesday. It'll take close to two weeks to get the whole vote in. Maybe they're lucky enough. But the weird part about this, on March the 8th, 
okay? There's the Players Association meeting to now get a new president, get new people on the executive committee because their terms have expired, and that, that's going to be a circus. So I don't know. Is it better to get the deal done and appealed and agreed to, right, again, a pass by the 8th or maybe thereafter? Probably yeah. better to get it done early. Yeah, I know which way the owners are leaning. And it sounds like you're leaning that you think that it's more likely to get passed than not passed. But if yeah. it doesn't, do you really believe that the owners will pull it off the table, will start to maybe comment through the media that the players are passing up this outstanding Make it a contentious condition because we've got a year and change before it ends, so it doesn't have to be contentious. But you think if the NFL, the owners are turned down, that they will mm-hmm. make it contentious? Yeah, well, not through this year. I mean, again, you have this year, and so you do this year. But here's here's and what they'll start to do next year, more than likely, from what I hear, they'll start putting caps on position. You know, caps on the percentage of a percentage of a year that a quarterback can get for money. Put uh, a percentage on the wide receivers, the edge rushers, and all that stuff. And there's no way the players are ever going to agree to something like that. And the reason they will do that is because, you know, the loss of potential television money. I mean, you can see right now with Tony Romo's contract at a million dollars a game, basically, that uh, there's enough money there to give 50 to 60 percent increases in the TV contracts. I mean, they're talking about the possibility with the TV contracts increasing. And now you have, you know, all the odds makers now and the gaming rights and all that stuff being filtered into the revenue. I mean, you could have the cap go from 200 to 205 million to 230 million dollars. That's what we're talking about for revenue. But if there is no deal accepted, then the TV uh, people aren't going to be bidding until they find out where it's going to go. And that's going to decrease things because what's going to happen this year, you're going to have a decrease in ratings because of the elections. That's always been the case, or at least in the last uh, couple elections, particularly the last one. And so now they're going to be bidding lower. So both the players and the owners are going to be losing money until there's labor peace. But you know, if they turn down this deal, there's not going to be any labor peace. Fair enough. We're talking to John Clayton here on CBS Sports Radio. All right. Part of the spillover from that is that they don't have the number set for this year's upcoming cap because if they get a new CBA, that could adjust everything and potentially change it. If they don't, they have cap numbers in place that they're going to deal with because they do have a year left on the CBA, and then you'll know what you do and don't have to spend for free agents. Well, it's a pretty good free agent quarterback market that is sitting out there waiting to find out what the cap numbers are going to be and how much money they're going to get. When does that all come together? How how much is that playing into the fact that we've got a pretty robust free agent grouping coming up this year and the owners wanting to get a new contract in place so that it expands and teams can be more aggressive in how they pursue free agents? Yeah, they're, they're working on over the weekend. The only delay in it is they're working on two things. One, and this is the usual thing that they do, you know, the uh, owners and the players association get to the combine and they work out the cap number. And then, you know, that's, that will be done. It's just now delayed because they're also working at the same time on the language of the deal so that they can get agreements on that so they can get it to the players. So it's kind of almost doing too much that's slowing it down. And so, you know, and you know, again, part of, part of this and really, I mean, you, they already know with audited statements what the revenue is. And they know that, you know, 47% is going to go to the players. The only negotiation is, you know, what the players want in benefits as opposed to the cap. 
And so that could go a couple of different ways. Like, for example, last year, uh, my understanding, the cap could have gone above $190 million. But the Players Association in their Indianapolis meeting you know, basically said, OK, uh, we want a little bit more in benefits. We want a bigger performance pool. We want this benefit and that. So it took it down to 188.2, easy agreement that everybody went to. I wouldn't be surprised this year as part of the selling point to the players that uh, what the union would like is that they'll still get uh, you know the amount of benefits and more, but they may put more into the salary cap to give the idea. It's like, okay, we'll go to $205 million because it's like, here's where this thing is going with the revenue. Because you know, you've got three teams moving into two new stadiums that's going to increase revenue there, and you still have other increases in revenue. So I wouldn't be surprised if they you know, don't overdo the benefits to do that. But it's just that, that's an easier negotiation because it's like, as they've told me, it's almost like you, you, you go in and you take something on a letterhead or you put you know, on your uh, an envelope and here's on your envelope what you want. And then you start negotiating that. That's not a problem. You know, again, getting the language done, that's a little bit more of a problem. But doing two at one time is delaying things. They should have it done by Monday. All right. You gave us a great big picture look there. I want a narrow focus for my last question. Tom Brady staying in New England, or is he going somewhere else? Cap-related, personality-related, legend-related. How is Brady's play going to shake out? Brady's play is going to be a game that's going to go on the 16th and 17th of March because on those two days, he's going to open and listen to everybody else. Now, people were making too much out of the idea that they've not started negotiations. Hey, they haven't started negotiations with Drew Brees. Brees wants to go back, and the Saints want him back, but they can't until they know the cap number. And so until they know what the cap number is, you know, they basically have to stand there and stare at each other. But it does look like he is going to be available for agency. And the reason I say the 16th, that's the legal tampering time that the teams can now talk to Brady and his agent. And so you got two days there. Now, if it gets past uh, the 18th, then what happens is that he's gone because what happens, you move up $3.75 million of cap room. And if there's no collective bargaining agreement agreed upon, then what will happen is going to be tougher for him to stay and they offer him a little bit less. So basically, it's going to be a two-day thing. I still think the odds are he stays, but I mean, you've got you know, Vegas in there, Indy to a small degree, but I think they're going to go with Phillip Rivers. And Tennessee is probably going to pitch. Ten- Tampa Bay is going to pitch. I, Chargers are going to talk, but I think they're going to go with Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert. So you, in, in, I don't believe the Giants are going to get in there, as some people were saying. But you know, you're going to have five, six, seven teams talking to them because why not? He's the greatest quarterback of all time. Love the phrase, the legal tampering phase. <laughs> Glad to hear we're only two and a half weeks away. JC, always a pleasure, brother. Appreciate you hopping on board. Thanks for the great insight. Thanks, Eddie. John Clayton from uh, 710 ESPN in Seattle and contributing writer for the uh, Washington Post, uh, doing NFL writing for them these days. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.